0: The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's show. Today, I'd like to welcome Charlie McGedigan from Ballyshannon, County Donegal, but now living in Drumshambo, County Leitrim. Charlie McGedigan started his musical career in the 1960s in various rock bands in Donegal. Charlie has worked with artists like Maura Connell and Eleanor Shanley, who both recorded many of his songs, including Feet of a Dancer, A Bed for the Night, and If Anything Happened to You. Charlie joined forces with Paul Harrington and Brendan Graham to win the 1994 Eurovision Song Contest for Ireland with Rock and Roll Kids. He has released many solo albums including In Your Old Room, Family Matters, Stolen Moments and his current album The Man From 20. Charlie's songs have been recorded by many artists including De Dannon, Mary and Francis Black, Ray Lynham, Daniel O'Donnell, Sandy Kelly and Hal Ketchum to name but a few. He presents the Saturday Connection and the Arts Show on Shannonside Northern Sound Radio. As well as serving on the board of IMRO, Charlie is also a member of the board of the Dock Arts Centre in Carrick and Shannon, County Leitrim.
1: Okay, welcome to the show, Charlie. How are you? You know, I'm delighted, but I'm kind of envious of you, Simon, you know, because just before we came on, came on air, you were telling me how free and easy life is over there in Spain. Uh, here, it's it's an absolute, uh, you know, the first year was fine, but now we're into the second year and I really actually enjoyed the first year, but I'm beginning to get kind of catchy now. You know, uh, it's kind of it, it looks like you know there's there's one thing after another. There's problems with vaccines and there's problems with you know people not obeying the rules, etc. But you seem to f- sail through it over there.
0: I, I think what happened here was we had the tough part last year. You know, there was weeks and weeks there we were just in the home, the house at the home, and we couldn't do anything, and it was pretty tough mentally and physically and everything. But now, I mean, yeah. I think they've seemed to relax the restrictions a bit because the numbers are still high and they went up and down. But I think they're trying to find a balance between quality of life and health. And I think that's what Ireland needs yeah, to do as well. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, there's so many conspiracy theories about the vaccine and so many opinions about it. And, you know, I just read today about the more delays and the lockdown will probably go on a bit for, in the summer. So I think the government needs to kind of take a stance and say, look, you have to be responsible yourself or else it falls on you. Yeah,
1: that's the problem. What happens, the longer it goes on, people bit by bit begin to disobey the restrictions purely by boredom. You know, they call it, you know, my wife, for example, you know, she loves to visit her friends in their houses. And uh, she has, thankfully, she has not done it, you know, and we haven't seen our grandchildren since Christmas. Uh, which is with something we'd see every week. But but um, I noticed, you know, something, you you begin to get like, an I'll be grudgery, you begin to see other people going into other people's houses and you say, well, how, how dare they disobey the restrictions when we're being really good, you know? Uh, so it, it has sort of created a, um, a little bit of resentment by people, you know, um, who resent other people doing, disobeying the restrictions, you know? What I, mean? I think
0: what's happening as well is that they're, like I know here, you see people and they are disobeying the rules and some people will call the police on them. But, you know, like if I see my neighbor and there's extra people in the house, I'm kind of thinking, well, look, you know, I'm not going to do anything like that. That's your concern. I mean, if you get sick, it's on you. Um, But yeah. it just when it doesn't infringe on your own health and everything, you know. So, I mean, this is the problem now. I, I saw a terrible video this morning of people with masks going into a cafe in, in Texas and the people in there with no masks booed them and told them to get out and said, you're not wanted here. And I was like thinking, this is pure hate. I mean, this is crazy. Like there, these people, like you should yeah. have a choice to wear a mask or not. That should be the kind of deal. But I mean, if you wear it, you shouldn't be booed out of a store. It's crazy.
1: Well, I think the, the, la- the last... Um presidential situation, I think, created this kind of a mentality in the States or supported it, you know, when they tried to introduce restrictions, you know, the, the the president was actually turned around and said, oh, forget it. You don't need to do this. Take a bottle of Dettol and you'll be fine. You know, and I yeah, think yeah. in America, it is kind of, it, there's a culture like that now in certain parts of America. You know, um, and and it's very hard to get rid of that. You know, it's like the gun laws. You know, there are people. You know, with the gun laws. They'll, they, you know, they'll say, um, you know, I'll say I agree with guns should not be given out, but they they will, they will almost shoot you for saying it. You know, the people who, who, who wait. The,
0: the COVID is a thing you could talk about all day, but we'll try and move on to brighter things. So. So, so listen. Are you? Uh, what's life like for you besides all the restrictions? Are you kind of doing a lot from home, a lot of virtual stuff, or are you managing to get out of a, a lot.
1: No, no gigs um, except on, on situations like me talking to you now uh, and Zoom concerts, which are good. But um, what I did was uh, I uh, the Leitrim County. I live here in Leitrim, from Shambo County, Leitrim, and the Leitrim County Library asked me would I do a series of concerts that we could and I said yeah but I'm not going to do them on zoom I'll record them so we found a, where I live right. here there's a new um um deli- a place called the shed distillery where they make gunpowder gin uh, and they've been, made a fantastic um sort of tourist attraction out of it uh, so we went down there myself and a, a young sound engineer called Leo Logan and and his partner with the camera and we recorded six concerts in two nights, six, you know, about two quarters of an hour concerts. And they're, they're available. You can go in and watch them anytime. They're up on YouTube there. They're called the Shed Sessions. And I really enjoyed them, although, Brilliant. having not played for so many, you know, for the first two of them, I, my fingers, I felt like I had boxing gloves on playing the guitar, you know, because you're, you're, you're so out of the, out of the loop of, of playing live, go, live concerts. And as well as that, you're playing into the, you're playing to the, to, just to the camera. The next thing then, um the Dock is a lovely theatre we have here in, in uh, Carrigan Shannon. And they asked me would I do a concert. And I I had my, my grandson, Boric, who is 17, and my other grandson, uh, Cahill, who is 12. And we did a little concert in there for them. And it will be going out towards the end of the month on YouTube. But in the meantime, do you know something? When I think about it, I've, I'm actually quite busy. You know, Simon, I'm sure you, you're probably the same. But, you know, if I'm not doing that, i'm I'm recording demos here in the house or um you know i'm talking on the phone you know i'm 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 quite busy and I feel quite tired at six o'clock so it's it's it, it, you know i i haven't stopped working i'm just not making any money
0: <laughs> no well well that's the thing yeah we have to keep the mind kind of busy and sane, and you know it's it's hard i mean when you're stuck in the house, you have to say. You know, let's be creative. Let's do things. But unfortunately, it's very hard to make money from the arts now. And but, you know, I was just thinking there, I I saw that on your Facebook page, actually. I mean, that's lovely. You're playing with your grandsons and um, I mean, they're picking up the music and, you know, it's not many grandsons can do concerts with their granddad. So that's something they'll always remember. Brilliant.
1: yeah well i i i've really enjoyed it as well simon because the all my three of my three of my grandchildren are all violinists and they all play in in things like the dublin youth orchestra uh, and they do concerts at the national concert so at their age uh, you know they've been at the they've played the national concert hall ten or twelve times you know when i didn't get to play in the national concert hall until I was about 40 you know so they're well they're well honed and they're well disciplined you know they 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 really Love the music and uh, Porik, you know my eldest fella. He's seventeen. He had a single out last year and it got loads and loads of airplay on the national channel and local stations and stuff like that. And not because he was my grandson, you know, I, I had nothing to do with it. I gave him a few guidelines. I said send it here, send it there, uh, um, but they picked up on it and and it was lovely. So you know, the only thing is, it's I love playing with them, but you can't do it on Zoom because of the time delay. You know yourself you know, there's a time delay, so you can't play with somebody, you know, directly. And I miss that. I miss that. Yeah,
0: yeah. like, you know, um people say to me, oh, it must be more difficult doing the podcast over Zoom. You know, the biggest obstacle sometimes is I get video files and I have to sync the audio. And sometimes that can take hours, you know, just just syncing people speaking. But when it's singing and everything, if that's out of things, oh, like for me, I, I try not to use Zoom and stuff. I try to use more stuff that's kind of, geared towards podcast and stuff that's recorded because you know if i record it locally at least i get the file back and it's pretty much all right i might have a few things but yeah yeah like i see there are people doing facebook live concerts and the audio is either way ahead or way behind the video and you can't enjoy it no and what i find
1: i, I, I anything i do i record it first and then i put it up because I notice people doing those. They're looking at the screen to see who's watching all the time and they're oh, hello, Joe, good to have you here. You know, and and, and it's it's an unreal thing, you know. If you were doing a gig, you wouldn't be doing that. You just talk to the audience, you know. And 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 the sound quality is never never as good either. You know, as you say,
0: unfortunately the thing about the whole Facebook Live is it's great that everybody can put something out there, but for me it's watering down the talent pool a little bit because it's kind of like you have some really great and creative musicians, artists, poets, everything. But then if if everybody's doing it, people get a bit fed up of it and they don't actually discover the good talent.
1: You're so right, Simon. You know, I I've, I've made the mistake of being nearly doing something every day when this whole thing started, mainly out of boredom because I, I had to do something. And now I'm beginning to realize what, what happens uh, when they go on their Facebook page uh, and they say, "Oh there's Charlie McGe again I don't know if I want to hear another one you know and you know so eventually your your audience drops to the, to to a very small number of people, so you're almost better to ration it you know to and, and and in a way to put it up on YouTube and let people go there whenever they want to go there you know or you know rather than having to be there at a certain time on Sunday at seven o'clock or whatever it is you know and a lot of people. Um, they sound like they're singing in a pub because they put up their PA system and they have they have the speakers and the re- the reverb on and all and and you know and I you know it 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 just you know it just doesn't work for me. That's just my own opinion. If people want to do it, go ahead.
0: Yeah, and and even yeah, I've seen some of them even have the fake crowd, which is funny.
1: <laughs> oh, really? I
0: haven't seen that. Now. <laughs> Bad enough to having that with the football. Yeah, I've seen one. I've seen I've seen a few of them where. You hear that it's like not the crowd clapping, but the crowd oh, talking, sheesh. like they're all this kind of and gla- yeah. glasses clattering, and they have a background of oh, a yeah, bar yeah. or something. And you're thinking, okay, but but the people know when yeah, you're not yeah, in a yeah. pub, so you know. I think I think just have a nice backdrop and do, you know, you don't have to put on all of this show because people just want to hear nice music. They don't want yeah. to kind of imagine. It's not like you're wearing 3D glasses yeah. and they're in a bar. And the funny-
1: yeah and the funny thing Simon, i find is that people's including me people's tolerance level on what on things like facebook and instagram their tolerance level is very low you know they they will if you don't catch them in the first 15 seconds they're onto something else you know because i'm always doing it myself you know i'm ticking over ticking over you know um so the tolerance level is gone um now the government have introduced the government here have introduced a 27, 27 million uh, euro scheme to allow promoters to put on concerts in venues all over the country um and a lot of the promoters have been on to us now paul paul Harrington, and myself to, to do um concerts here there and everywhere which will be recorded with full lighting sound you know the proper concert situation in a concert hall you know in in, in little theaters and concert halls uh, you know so and then they'll put them up as a finished product rather than having everybody sitting there at nine o'clock awake because you, you're not going to look into a screen for more than half an hour, you know, without going off to, to do something else.
0: What's happening is for the artists who rely on that money. I know there's Patreon, but the problem is the majority of people don't aren't putting in this tip jar and aren't giving money. And for the majority of artists who are trying to earn money, they're not getting anything because people are just taking this as a free source whereas if you do a full live concert with a band or without a band but in a nice setting done professionally you can say okay we're charging a fiver or 10 or 50 whatever but you you can make it an event where somebody goes i actually want to see this you know yeah
1: yeah that's it that's it i think yeah, the 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 pay the pay is important if people have paid a fiver to watch something they're going to watch it you know it's like getting, it's like downloading a video uh, from Sky, and and uh, it's six ninety nine or whatever it is. No matter how bad the movie is,
0: you're <laughs> going to sit there and put up because <laughs> you paid the money. <laughs> 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 you will make sure you watch it. Let, yeah, even if it's bad. if it's bad. Let's go back a little bit um, to you know your early life. So, so you're you're a Ballyshannon man originally.
1: I grew up in in Bally. Actually, believe it or not, I have, I have triple triple national status in that I was born I was born in Dublin grew up in Ballyshannon, uh, and have spent the last almost 50 years here in Leitrim. So, you know, people get annoyed, you know, uh, when I say I'm from Leitrim, and then the Donegal people get annoyed. And then the Leitrim people get annoyed if I say I'm from Donegal. You know, so... And it's remarkable how people see... Uh, this thing, if you don't say up Leitrim, you're not a Leitrim man, you know, or if you don't say up Donegal, you know, you're, you're, it's like treachery, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, 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 I suppose I got, I first got interested in music when I grew up, believe it or not, I'm 70 this year. So I grew up in the 1950s. And the first piece of music I remember ever hearing on the radio was a song called How Much Is That Doggy In The Window. Do You remember that? No, you're probably too young. Yeah, I, I, I did. <laughs> no, my mother you know, singing one. it. Uh, and, that was the first song I probably learned, and and the dog used to woof woof at the uh, you know and uh, but that hooked me, it hooked me on to, to music on the radio, and you know I um I, I my mum my mum is a dub, uh, and she came to live in Ballyshannon in the country, but she always talked about her sort of teenage to mid twenties age group age, she would have gone to places like the like the the Gaiety Theatre in Dublin and you know all the different there was fantastic theatre scene in Dublin at the time, Um, and she always talked about, you know, loved variety shows and stuff like that, and then, for that reason, when we were growing up, there there was always uh, variety shows on the television, like the Billy Cotton Band Show, and then on the radio, we had things like The Goons and all all, all these things, but but initially, it was nothing but the radio, we didn't have, have a record player or anything like that, but the radio was the big. Thing, and people like Maureen Potter on the radio and, and uh, all the different uh, programs like the Foley family. But I, I think the first time I ever performed in, in, in public was uh, when my father uh, was putting up a PA system uh, for Jim for, uh, Canna in the town. Uh, and um, he asked me would I test out the microphone. I, I, was, I think I was about seven or eight years of age. I didn't really know what a microphone was, but there was a big bulbous thing at the end of a, of a, of a stand. And he said, go up and, "Go up and you know, test out the mic." And he said, "What do I do?" He says, "Ask her sing a song." And I sang, uh, you know, that great, uh, that great Perry Como song, Catch a falling star and put it in your pocket, save it for a rainy day. And that was the first public appearance ever. Uh, was 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 singing that song. And I still sing it. Believe it or not, I still sing it in, our, in the gigs today.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a lovely song. I mean, it's a great song, and it, what what a great song to start as a seven year old with.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, the next thing, uh, um, the next thing I did, I, I remember getting my first guitar. Uh, what I did was I, there was this friend of mine, and uh, he had a few bob, and I encouraged him. I knew he hadn't a note in his head, but I encouraged him to buy a guitar. You know, really, Arthur Green was his name, and he knows all about this. And I sort of said to him, "Oh, buy a guitar," you know. And after about two months, he knew he wasn't getting any. I said, could I borrow the guitar, do you think? And, and I borrowed the guitar. And I learned, I think, my two songs, uh, which uh, persuaded my mom and dad to buy me a guitar for Christmas. And uh, it was the most atrocious guitar you ever saw. It was a Negmond. what was called a Negmond electric guitar. And I didn't know you had to plug it into an amplifier. So I thought you just plugged it into the wall. Uh, and and you got the, the you sounded like like uh, the shadows like Hank Marvin or something you know, but eventually what I discovered was uh, in those days there were no carpets in bedrooms or anything like that but the, there was a wooden floor in my bedroom and the, the bed was a wooden uh, thing as well so I, I used to jam the guitar up into the bed so the bed and the and the floor acted as a sound as a soundboard and I, it actually worked you know uh, and uh, you know it was just like a huge acoustic guitar you know because the actual guitar was just a a solid piece of wood you know so that was the first guitar and then um as i learned one or two songs you know i got more confident and i remember being at there was a an organ an organization called the children of mary <laughs> in bally shannon and one of the, one christmas i think it was christmas about nineteen sixty sixty four, um they they um they had a, a record hop or actually a, a, a band hop hop in a sunday afternoon and somebody heard that I played the guitar and they uh, and said, G- get up and sing a song, you know. So no better man, you know, I got up and suddenly I I, I, I noticed the place went quiet. And I remember saying, where have, all, where have all the flowers gone by Pete Seeger with the song I sang? And there was a huge round of applause at the end of it. And uh, girls were coming up to talk to me. And I said, oh, gee, this is this is great. Uh, You know, girls, this is an added bonus. I'm going to meet girls through the guitar. And, uh, you know, that was more or less it then. You know, lots and lots of... There's a whole... I'm doing a memoir at the moment, Simon, and hopefully it'll be out for Christmas. And um, I talk all about those early days.
0: I used to live in Letterkenny for a few years. And obviously, when I'd be traveling home to Galway from Letterkenny, you go through Ballyshannon and Stranorler. So...
1: And you'll always know Ballyshannon now because Rory G- there's a statue of Rory Gallagher in Ballyshannon because he was born in Ballyshannon. And believe it or not, he was born in a place called the Rock Hospital. Imagine, they ca- he, he turned out to be, you know, um, a huge rock star himself. And he was born in the Rock Hospital, you know, which is crazy.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: for you growing up in for you growing up in Ballyshannon was it like was there a lot of access to music and gigs or what kind of town was it for entertainment
1: it was a fantastic place simon and um, when i was growing up you know when i look back now there was so much for us to do because everything what you did you you entertained yourself in those days nobody had cars you couldn't really go anywhere so there was a musical society there who used to put on the the, the uh, Gilbert and Sullivan operas and stuff like that, and I was involved in that. There was the the usual church choirs, and as well as that, there was the Asaro Cayley band, which was a professional Cayley band that came that that uh, was in the town, and I used to see the Asaro Cayley band heading off in their van, their lovely painted van with the Asaro, and I said, "Oh God, it must be great to be in that and heading off to a distant place," not realising that they might have been driving to Cork and playing a three or four hour gig and driving back again all in the same day. But um, yeah, there was a drama society there and a drama festival there. I mean, I think in, in a way, all big towns in the 50s had something similar because, again, because you made your own entertainment. You did your own thing, you know. And, and uh, what happened with me was I was walking home from school one day and I got into step with a friend of mine, with a fellow that I knew, you know, at school called John Hannigan. And we were talking, and he next, he next thing he says to me, you know, I have a guitar. And I said, what? You have a guitar? And, and I said, I must call to see you, you know. And, and uh, we did, and we, we put together a little rock band that lasted about two years. And <laughs> we, used to, we used to almost uh, bribe people to let us play. We were pretty dreadful at the beginning, as most bands are. I remember even paying, paying the admission. To get into a, a venue and sneaking the instruments in through the toilet window uh, so, the, so, we, so that we could play support to another band that was on. But uh, yeah, but we were, you know, the Beatles were, I mean, when you think about the Beatles were coming on stream in 1963, I was 13 then. So I sort of. We sort of grew up with the Beatles. As the Beatles progressed, we progressed. And, you know, we all know the story. The Beatles, you know, were quite, you know, a basic rock and roll band, but turned into this almost symphonic band towards the end, you know, with, with albums like Sgt. Pepper's and Abbey Road. And, you know, whereas the initial was a rock and roll beginning, which is a bit, a bit like ourselves. We're now, you know, at this stage, I'm working in, in, in studios with infinitesimal amounts of tracks. In those days... The, the merest thing to a recording you got was somebody had a, a Grundig tape recorder and a microphone and uh, you you played into that and funny when I when I listened back to some of those really early recordings they're great because there's, there's there's may not be the music may not be great but the enthusiasm is there
0: you know when you started playing the guitar was there any kind was there one player or certain players that you kind of fell into their style or you like that style of playing
1: well you, um my first i think my first vision of a guitar was you used to get these um playing cards with 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 bubblegum l m bubblegum and the first guitars I saw would have been the everly brothers where there was the, uh, these on the back of the of the card there was a picture of a pop star or an American film hero or whatever, and the Everly brothers uh, had these guitars these big jumbo um, Gibson guitars. And they would have been the yeah, first they, guitar-
0: they had They had the white scratch plate, didn't they, on them?
1: Yeah, yeah. And the, I, the next thing, a fellow opened a shop called The Music Box, and uh, he, he sold records, but he also sold guitars. And the first one he had in the shop window was a green guitar, an acoustic guitar with Hawaiian palm trees uh, on the front of it. And I, I used to go every day and look at this guitar, just looking at, at this guitar, and then one day it was gone. And it was almost somebody said, I stole, you've stolen my guitar, you know? Uh, and, and I found out that. Who yeah, had that's bought mine. It. That's my, yeah, that's my, you've got my guitar. And, and, and uh, I, I hadn't played at all at this stage. And, and um, I, I said, can I, can I go to your house just to feel it? and i took it up and of course i thought you just played it and you were going to sound like hank marvin or you know bert weedon or whoever it was at the time uh, and of course it wasn't that easy uh but that was you know that was that but just to touch a guitar was just magic for me you know and it's the same i looking at at your at your little set there behind you with you know, I'm guessing the names, I'm guessing the makes of the guitars and the ukuleles and the electric guitars. You know, when I go to a town, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the first the first thing I go to in a town is I, I wonder is there a guitar shop here? You know, and I still get that little tingle in the back of my neck when I go into Waltons or go into McCullough Piggotts or go into any of the guitar shops now. They're, and when I started, they were there were only there was only two guitar shops, almost in the whole country, and that was Waltons and McCullough Piggotts. Now they're all over the place, and then the dreaded Thoman's, you know, you, you go in and look, I get a Thoman catalogue every so often and my mouth begins to drool looking at these, uh, at these instruments and,
0: you know, you know, so that never left me. No, I remember like, you know, when I got in, I got, I got into guitar playing when I was around 20, I got, I started quite late and, um, but I remember then starting to go to guitar shops in Galway and, you know, there was only a few shops and they were small yeah rafferty's was there yeah and modern music and those but then i remember rafferty's, any rafferty's. time you'd go up to dublin you know mccullough pig and yeah. waltons and these it was yeah. like a kid in a candy store you know you'd be with your girlfriend or whatever and she'd say where are we going and you say, can we go to the guitar shop and she's like oh god we'll be in there for an hour or two and you go maybe you go and have a coffee or you know you'd be kind of like trying to get time to go in and just stay there and look around and look at the nice guitars and you know it's a lovely lovely experience
1: Oh yeah, and Walton's Walton's had all the guitars uh, hanging from from the ceiling, and literally hundreds yeah. of guitars yes. hanging there from the ceiling. And then the really expensive ones, the Gibsons, uh, were in in a glass case at the back, uh, you know. But you know, I bought I bought two guitars in Walton's. I bought one of McCullough Pickets. You know, I still I'm still I'm, I, you know. I, my wife has to i know a fella, a friend of mine called paddy goodwin and uh he probably won't want anybody to hear this but i i, I sold him a guitar one time i had a loudon that i was selling and um we got chatting we went i met him in mullingham we, we went to talk to sell the guitar we spent four hours talking guitars at the end of it but he told me he had 110 guitars and the wife only knows about three of them and he keeps them in his in the in the basement of his office so, so I was adding to her misery, you know, <laughs> by selling them this one. You know, so I think we're a special breed of guitar free.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what it is, you know, for for guitar players and gear, you know, whether it's pedals or whether it's guitars, you know, there you'll be talking to some fella and he'll say, Oh, I bought a new guitar pedal, it was 600 euro and, and he and they will say, And did you tell the wife? Did I hell? Should Jesus she'd kill me. <laughs>
1: yeah (laughs) still the same never changes for
0: sure so so tell us um so you like you were getting into play and then and i I know like obviously at the same time did you 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 became an electrician didn't you so
1: i worked with the electricity supply board oh right okay well just before that um we got a call one day uh, um from a fella in bundorn at that time was the holiday Venue for, for, for mostly from people from the north of Ireland, Belfast and, and this fellow rang me one day and he said, I'm, I'm I'm after leasing this pub in Bundorn, and I have a busload of Belfast people have just arrived in and I need somebody to entertain them. I, I believe you play. And I we had a little, we were a rock band at the time, a, you know. So, I, myself and this other fellow we, we bought the Guinness Book of Irish Ballads and we tummed a lift to Bundorn and we ended up playing for the entire summer season in Bundorn four hours a night seven nights a week. And it was the best learning experience you could possibly want. And I did that then for three different seasons in, in three different pubs, myself and this other fellow, just the two of us. And uh, in those days, it was people getting up to sing. Everybody got up, you know, they were called the singing lounges or the singing pubs. And people uh, would get up to sing. So you had to learn songs like, "You'd Be, be things, I Left My Heart in San Francisco was the big song that everybody was singing at the time. And you'd get these... Uh, what they would, what you would call a pub tenor, getting up to sing, um, um "I Left My Heart in San Francisco," and he might go through about three or four keys in the course of the song, uh, so you had to keep with him. You know, he'd start in one key, and you'd follow him and follow him into the next. But it was a great learning experience because you learned lots of new chords and things that you wouldn't have learned just uh, just sitting at home and, and playing for yourself. But then I got the steady job, went into the w- worked in the ESB in, in in Dublin. I got a job there, and the very first night I was there somebody brought me to this pub called Slatteries of Capel Street. I didn't know anything about Slatteries, but, but the yeah, but the night I went there, uh, Liam Ogo Flynn was playing the pipes. Al O'Donnell was there with the guitar. Donald Lunny was there with a the bazooki. And these people weren't, they weren't that well known at the time. You know, Paul Brady was there and I had known Paul from Paul used to play in Bondoran as well. So I'd known him. They you know we're talking about the sixties, 68 and I immediately heard Al O'Donnell playing the acoustic guitar. He had a Martin treble-o uh, twenty eight acoustic guitar. I rang Dad the next day and I said, "Dad, I need money." Uh, and he said, not, "Not, another guitar." Yeah, I said, "I need an acoustic guitar." And I went up to to a place called Dan Fay Instruments in in um, in Angel Street and bought a Yamaha FG one twenty acoustic guitar. And that's uh, that, that sent me off on the acoustic route. And I've been playing acoustic guitar ever since. So if I hadn't joined the ESB, I probably would never have uh, played the acoustic guitar. So <laughs> it's uh, it's unusual. When
0: you were like working with the ESB, and obviously you were doing gigs as well, when did the time come when you thought, OK, I don't want to work in a regular job anymore. I'm go- I want to completely do music.
1: Well, it took me another, I'd say, 15 years. I moved to Leitrim here then. Uh, to work in the power station now, there, there's a there's a coal burning power station here and I got involved with the with the from GAA score competition They as soon as I got here they said oh you play the guitar yeah put him into the score and uh, I met a fellow called Damon Daly we formed a, a little band called Jargon and that went on for many years and with lots of different changes I got to know people like Brendan Emmett and Jerry Grennan and Liam Gilmartin and we had a great little band but it was all kind of Americana music, folk music, you know, that kind of stuff. And we entered i think called the Letterkenny Folk Festival contest. And Pumpkinhead had won it and people at Clannad had won it years previously. And we won it. And the, we got a record. We got a recording contract. Uh, and we got a single out, blah, blah, blah. But even then, I spent another 15 years still working in the ESB and still playing. It wasn't until 1994. When um, we won the Eurovision Song Contest, Paul Harrington and myself, and the ESP gave me a year off. Uh, they gave me a year off to 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 help push Ireland and the and the song contest and all that and and the, the the that. So I got a year off, and one thing led to another. Uh, I ended up uh, never going back. Well, I went back for a very short period to get my pension, and then uh, came back out. Uh, and then I've been a professional musician ever since, but it took me that length of time, thirty odd years to become a professional
0: yeah. there's There's lots of musicians around that have done something similar because you know like it's a hard industry, and you have to keep the you know the pay packet sometimes to survive because you're not making enough money or you know and and it's a it's a you're treading the boards but trying to feed the family too you know
1: yeah you're you're so right, and you know. Um, one of the many things I've done in 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 the entertainment world is I've, I've been a radio presenter for the local radio station here, side Northern Sound, for about ten years. Uh, sadly, that came an end with, to an end with COVID nineteen because they closed the us down. Not so much the radio station, but nobody can visit the studio anymore. It has to be so anyway. But what I did find out by being a radio presenter, the amount of music is just phenomenal. The amount of great music that is coming out. In, in, to, the, to the point of tedium, in that I still get all the stuff, uh, all the, the new records and the new CDs, not so much CDs anymore, digital distributions. And, you know, I'm, I, even now, and I'm not on the radio, I get at least 15 tracks, new tracks a day, you know, new music. With the result that the market now is so overcrowded, it's just, it's, it's scary. I would not like to be starting now. You know, because the um one of the fellas in, in RTE, a friend of mine, Aiden Butler, was telling me, he, they get 300 new pieces of music a week. You know, so can, it, with, with the best will in the world, nobody can listen to 300 pieces of music. So I'd say if 10 of those pieces of music get airplay, that's about it. You know, and everybody and these I'm not saying this is bad music. This is great music. I mean, everything from hip hop to rock to, to folk music to, you know, whatever it is this is really well recorded and 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 really good music so i i would hate to be starting now it's it's so difficult to establish
0: yourself you know i actually saw a post on linkedin and there was this guy and he, he works for uh warner music and he was kind of looking for people to send demos you know of songs and stuff but it's crazy because he says uh, I want to see when you send it. I want to see the stems and the tr- of the tracks and everything. So he wants to see that to show it's your music. But like he's looking for demos, and then he says, "So make sure the music is mixed and mastered and up to you know really high production level." And you're thinking, "Hold on, you like you you said you're asking for demos, but now the songs have to be finished." So the problem is that as an artist now you have to do so much more. Than you had in the past, just to even get your foot in the door yeah
1: it, it, um, it's expensive, you know and it's 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 really it, it, psychologically it's very bad once when, when somebody a new artist goes in and maybe spends two or two or three grand making their making their first uh, single or EP or whatever it is and to to send it in to the radio stations you know the the national radio station and all the local stations uh, and not even get a not even get a reply. Not even get you know say look we got your music we think it's great but just not for our our station any our station or our programs here, so because it's I'm not blaming the state the radio stations they just haven't got the time because there is so much good music out there now what the answer to that is I don't know but uh, you know because the really I mean I'm hearing such wonderful music you know every day I've only, I had three before I spoke to you today uh, and each one of them were really well recorded really good songs, really well sung, uh, and yet they have a snowball's chance in hell of, of getting, you know, national airplay or even even local area uh, airplay.
0: Yeah. It's a shame, really, because the problem is when something becomes so saturated, other pe- you know, people give up. And then, what, do people wait for a lull yeah. in the market? Because it'll probably never come. But, you know, my big complaint nowadays, not to sound like a grumpy old man or anything, is that, obviously, when you hear music on the radio... I mean, they're sampling all the old records. And and, and I'm, I'm just talking about the 80s, not even before that. You know, we all know that Led Zeppelin would copy yeah. some riffs and now bands are copying Led Zeppelin. But now, I mean, every time a new song, like my daughter says, put on, uh, you know, Hit FM or one of these like Spanish stations that play all the hits. And then the song comes on and I hear the melody and I say, that's uh, a song that's by in excess or that's by somebody else. And my daughter doesn't know who I'm talking about. And what's happening is all these producers nowadays, it's not just the fault of the artists. The producers are stealing melodies and making new songs with them. And even to the point that they're making vocal melodies out of guitar melodies and everything. So it's, it's not just saturated. It's become really plagiaristic.
1: And as well as that, as well as that, Simon, um, I, I often ask my, my grandkids, wh- where are they hearing their music? You know, because I, I know for a fact that none of them listen to the national radio station. They don't listen to 2FM. They don't listen to Radio 1. Uh, and I ask, where do you get it? Well, I, I go into YouTube. Uh, I, I, I hear things on, on TikTok or whatever. And they know all these songs. And, and and it's trying to hard to figure out how they get, you know, I think it's friends tell them, you know, have a listen to that song or this artist or whatever it is, you know. but but um, they're not listening to radio anymore. Uh, therefore, uh, they have to almost the thing we forgot to mention, Simon, is that now people expect a video content as well. If you make if you make a record, you have to have a video to go to go with it. Uh, and and even with that, you know, it goes by. We all you know we we all switch on videos on YouTube, and you know we click to the next one and click to the next one. Mm-hmm. So how they make? I think to a certain extent, the, the, the songs that stand out. To me, are the ones that have a story to go with the song. You know, whether it's about their own personal life or it's about a, it's it's about a topic that people are talking about. For example, all through the the pandemic here, I've been writing uh, songs about the pandemic. Some funny songs and some series, mostly f- f- well attempt at being funny about about the pandemic, and I've been getting great reaction to them. You know, um, on on Facebook and stuff like that. You know, getting fifty, sixty thousand hits on them. And, you know, and, and it, you know, it, and you can never know which one is going to click. But I think the the attitude that we have a saying here in from if you throw enough shit at the wall, some of it's bound to stick. You know, so so uh, I think yeah, you really do You need, really have to persevere. You know.
0: Yeah, and and the thing is, when when with your songwriting, you know, like once you started, and it's probably evolved and changed over the years. Do you have an actual process or like do you get ideas in the car or in the shower or waking up in bed what how what what kind of process do you have at the moment for writing
1: Well at the moment what I do is I sit I, I come in here every day in this little room and and I I sit and I um rack my brains for, for for ideas and 90% of the time nothing comes but then I might be out for a walk and something happens or somebody says something and the pandemic has been great because there's been different aspects of the pandemic. There are other people talking what they're going to do after the pandemic. There are people are going to do what they're doing in the pandemic and how they're feeling, you know. So there's loads of different aspects of that subject. And yet you've got to be careful because people are sick listening to it on news channels and stuff like that as well. But um, I just, you know what I've been doing a lot of lately is co-writing with other people. Um, um, and I really enjoy that process. We do it over the internet. You know, um say John will come up with a with a with a title uh, what, what what do you think of this of a title and i yeah yeah, that's great let's let's I'll get a verse on that and send it back to him and tour and four. It's called the ping pong method that, that that's what I call it anyway and 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 uh but I've written loads of great songs with. People, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of the music of the 1930s, 40s uh, time, the, you know, the big band era and Glenn Miller and all that. stuff, and, and Singers like uh, Ella Fitzgerald and Billy Holiday and people like that. And I got writing with a young fellow called Colum Gavin, who lives in Clondalkin. He's only 28. But he, you know, when he sent me, when he sent me a line and I, I came up with this ragtime, he came up with a feel to it and I thought he's going to hate this. And he loved it he said oh yeah, I love that. that's that's the kind of music I want to play you know uh, so so you meet loads and loads of people uh, that that'll write the writing songs of a guy in Nashville at the moment, write a couple of songs with him, and there's never a week goes by but something new uh, comes out you know we've all, you know whether it's at somebody else or myself or whatever it is you know it's haphazard a lot of the time you don 't know when you sit down it could be could be just a the famous folk." Four- And you come up, and then you go, Simon. Please leave me alone, Simon. You know, it can be be as simple as that, you know. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But that, but that's it, you know. And, And like, that's the thing. My my thing with songwriting is I have. I have, like I'd say, about 50 or 60 demos of songs that I've nearly finished. And I'm a bit of a procrastinator in that sense that I'll come up with a great idea for a song. And then I'll say, oh, I'll I'll do that later on. And then I look at it five years later and go, geez, I never did anything with that song. So everybody's different processes, don't they? Well, the
1: one thing, the one mistake you're making is that when you come up with that idea for a song, what you really need to do is send it to me. (laughs)
0: i may do that after this i may do that please
1: do please do
0: yeah 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 no because it's it's a really interesting thing isn't it i'm always amazed by you know i I, you know what i love and you don't see enough of them and i i was a i was a big fan still am a big fan of travis you know this band from scotland and uh i love the singer Fran Fran healy and he did he did a thing once. I can't remember, and he was with um, he was with one of the guys. I think from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and him and somebody else. There was three songwriters, and it was like it was a show called "The Story Behind the Song," and they were talking about how they wrote the song or where they were, you know, sitting in the backyard in the car, or whatever. But it's it's interesting to me how you know some people say oh this song wrote itself or it wrote in ten minutes and others someone else could say well this song was written twenty years ago and I never had a last verse and now I've just finished the last verse so it's twenty years in the making.
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, I I wrote a song thirty years ago called "Anybody Got a Shoulder," and um. I entered it just three years ago into the national into the Euro Song Competition, and we got with Cat Mahan. Yeah, with Cat Mahan, and I had written that song thirty years previously, and it just came up again. You know, uh, you know, I, I was a new cat from she was used to work in the studio down that I that I was close to, <clears throat> and um, you know, uh, it, 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 everybody thought this is a really good song, and yet it was thirty years old. So, it, you know, where did that come from, or why did that happen? I must uh You said that you might give me a chance to 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 sing a song, um, and I. This is a perfect example of how haphazard my my life is. I was looking at Facebook one day, and this poem came up on 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 Facebook, and it was called "Dust If You Must." And uh, I just looked at it, and you were talking about the ten-minute song. In ten minutes, I had a melody, and I had made a song out of the verse and added a little chorus and a little bridge in it and stuff like that. and But I had it done, but I didn't know who had written, who had written the poem. So I, I sent a little um, message up on Facebook. I said, does anybody know who wrote um, Dust, If You Must? And about 10 days later, I got a, um, a message from So I know who it is, uh, and I have her phone number as well. And her name was Rose Milligan, and she lived in Lancaster in England. And I called her up, and this little old lady of 82 answered the phone. And I said, I'm Charlie McGettigan and, and I've um, made a song from your poem, Dust, if you must. And she said, you know, she had a real, almost like a, like a, a striking minor accent. You know, she said, you know lovely, love, what do you want me to do? What, what do you mean? And, and I, I said, well, I'd like to send it to you. And I said, I'll send it to you by email. Well, don't do that, love. Don't, do don't do anything with computers. And, and uh, eventually I sent it to her on a CD. And about, I, you know, I really I liked the song a lot. And, and I, I bit my nails for 10 days until she, she uh, sent me back a letter saying that she loved it, you know. And uh, and I said, well, you've given me permission to record it. So I did, I recorded it. And, and maybe I'll play it for you. You might, you might like it. Is that okay?
0: Do, no. I'd love to hear it. I love to hear it.
1: If you must, but wouldn't it be better to paint a picture or write a letter, make a cake or plant a seed? Ponder on the difference in a want and need. Oh, dust if you must, dust till you bust, but always trust your want. Yeah, dust if you must, but there's not much time. But rivers to swim and mountains to climb And music to hear and books to read And friends to cherish and a life to lead Oh, dust if you must Dust till you bust But always trust You wanderlust. Yeah, dust if you must But there's a world out there With the sun in your eyes And the wind in your hair A flutter of snow, a shower of rain this day will not come around again. Oh, dust if you must, dust till you burst But always trust your wanderers. Good times always find you, leave those worried times far behind you, oh dust if you must, but bear in mind, old age will come and it's not kind, but when you go and go you must, you yourself will make lots more dust, oh dust if you must, dust till you bust, but always trust,
0: one. there you go brilliant really nice oh, thank you but
1: you know, Rose. I've kept in touch with Rose, and and uh, she's a lovely lady. You know, she must be about eighty-five at this stage, but still has a great enthusiasm for life. You know, and uh, it was just a, a bit of magic happened. You know, and I think if you're a songwriter or you're a creative person, I think that's what you respond to best is just things that happen on the spur of the moment. Go run with it. You know, if it if it if it perks up your your brain, run with it. You know
0: yeah and and you know the thing about songwriting is and the whole music kind of creation thing it really is a thing for the soul because you know whether you do anything with it or whether it becomes successful I think the joy is in actually doing it, that moment when you're creating it. You know, a lot of artists say, oh, once I have the music recorded and the albums and the singles recorded, and then I have to deal with the business and all of this, that's a pain in the ass. The music is the thing that makes you happy, really, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. And I, I often say to people, um, the the easiest part of the of the music business is creating the music. The hardest part is the promotion of it. And You know, because you literally have to put on a different hat and you suddenly either have a manager or an agent or somebody who goes and um, blows your trumpet for you, or, you know, with radio stations, television shows and etc. Or you do it yourself. And I've down the years I've done it myself. And that's been the hardest part, you know, to go in and say, here's my latest song. And it's really good. You're going to love it. You know, whereas if a manager goes in, here's Charlie's brand new song. I'm not kidding you. This is the best thing he's ever done, you know. But it's very hard to do that and blow your own trumpet. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? I've I've talked to a lot of people over the last few months, and, you know, the one thing that's there in everybody in some way or shape or form, is the fact that as artists, it's hard to promote yourself because some people have insecurities and some people have, you know, they can seem very confident on stage and be like Mick Jagger, but behind it all, very insecure. And that's why sometimes it's good to have somebody else to promote you because they won't hold back. Whereas you might say, well, it's okay, you know, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: and all all you can hear is the mistake you think you made in on the third verse and the last line of it or whatever it is and you say don't play that don't, don't play that you want to It's awful <laughs> whereas the manager he, he
0: and, and i get i get that all the time where i get people saying to me oh i don't know should i say that in the podcast or in the interview and i'm like just be yourself you know you you have to be yourself because Self-editing and self-criticism sometimes kills the art, doesn't it?
1: Oh yeah, without it, without a doubt. And you have to stop yourself from doing that, you know. Uh, because now, I'm, I'm, as I was telling you earlier on, I'm writing this memoir, and writing a memoir is slightly different than making music because you have to, you have to go back over it again, you know, to to make it crisper and easier for the for the person to read uh and you've got to leave it. you've got to edit it you know you, you sometimes you can get far too involved in a trivial part of your story uh so you have to sort of say well no nobody no, that's only me I, I i don't i'm the only one that would understand that no point in me putting that in and, and all that so it's been a constant revision you know all the time whereas with the music you do it you record it have fun doing it if you have fun doing it uh great um, but don't ever listen to it again. If you can avoid it. Uh, you know, I, I try not. You know, you know it's done. It's done. It's like painting.
0: Yeah, and if you listen to it, enjoy it for what it is and what it was, rather than saying, "Oh, I should have done that differently," and everything. You just have to let it go. It's like it's like you just let it go into the wild.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, Simon, I'm going to have to get a wall like yours there behind. I'm going to have to put up all my guitars on the wall. <laughs>
0: This is my this is my uh, my podcast wall, but you know it's great because I I teach guitar as well still, and I do it online, and it's great because sometimes people are going, oh, and what's that guitar and whatever. So that's my musician wall, you know. Um, it's it's uh, yeah, and and it's funny because. I had uh, I had actually uh, where I am in in this I'm in an attic kind of space and I had it on the other side of the room so I only changed it the other day so when if people look at the podcast before this one they'll be like it looks like it's flipped so they'll think it's not real. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you see, my problem is. There's a if I if I put my guitars on that wall, there's a radiator directly under them so they, 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 you know so I'm stuck you know so I I have a bookcase over here but it's very different. this is a little small room and I like it because I like the sound in it you know the sound is not echoey and stuff like that um but but if I turn around with the bookcase I have no room for the guitar and you know and it it it's all, 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 all. but you can get these things now you can get an artificial
0: backdrop I believe now you know. Yeah, and it's
1: called a green
0: screen. You know, it's funny there. You just reminded me when you said about the radiator. I remember once years ago, I I had this guitar and um, it was a cheap kind of acoustic guitar, but I, I, I sanded it down and I sprayed it a lovely blue and it turned out really well. I was kind of into art at the time and I put little pinstriping around the edges and it, it looked fantastic. And I remember I lived in this small flat and I... So, what happened was, um, the my girlfriend at the time she put the guitar in the hot press and the hot press was still on, right? And I came back after like a day or two and I, I was like, Where's the guitar? And she said, oh, I put it in the press there and I was like, No. And I, I thought, I hope the hot press wasn't on and it was on. And when I went in, the guitar was like a banana in the in the hot press, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, you learn you, you won't do that no, again. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> no, don't put the hot press with, the, or don't put the guitar with the towels. So listen, um, yeah. uh, Charlie. So obviously, you know, a, a big part of your life and and was the Eurovision, and you know, I, I don't want to dwell on the Eurovision. I mean, it was brilliant for you and everything, but. Let's talk about it a little. So how did you kind of get together with Paul Harrington in that sense? Did you know each other before or we, did you come together through Brendan Graham? Uh,
1: Brendan, Graham uh, Brendan Graham and myself have been pals for about 30 odd years. I used to meet Brendan way back in, in, the, in the late 70s, early 80s. And there were loads and loads of song contests in those days. And that was one way of getting your songs out was to put them into song contests. So I met Brendan at the Manor Hamilton Wild Rose Song Contest back in whenever it was seventy four, I think it was, and we've been friends ever since, and we'd written a few songs together. But to to cut it, make a long story short, he sent me. Um, no, he was down here in the house actually, and he he played this uh, song, Rock and Roll Kids, to me, and he said, "I need somebody to do a demo of it." And uh, I I said, um, "Yeah." Well, he said, "Will you do a demo?" And I, and I did it on a you know. Remember '62? I was 16, and so were you. I was kind of into country music at the time, and it was dreadful. It was dreadful. And uh, anyway, he then the following year he sent me a copy of, of, of Paul Harrington's demo. I'd never met Paul. I'd heard him on the radio once or twice, and he it was just Paul on the piano. And, the, and I said, "Oh, Brendan, that's the version. That don't even touch, and don't do anything with that. Just send it wherever you're sending it." He said, I'm putting it into the into the National Song Contest. And and I said, Okay, well don't do don't be putting a band on with it. Or just put it in. And he did. And I happened to be on the jury that year and it was rejected. Um the song was rejected, didn't get through. But the following year he put it in again and it it was it qualified for the finals. And um he rang me up and he said, I think it needs something as an no, and don't touch it, don't touch it. I think no, but I think it would it would be lovely now with a, with a bit of acoustic guitar and a, and a bit of harmony on it. And I kind of, I was moving house at the time and it didn't suit me at, at all. And I said, ah, oh, Brendan, you know, I, you know I, do, I don't want to be churlish, but, you know, I said, give me 24 hours. And I talked to Gretty and I said, what do you think, Gretty? May ask my wife? And uh, she said, look, it's not going to do any harm. Go for it anyway. So we, the, the songs were all being highlighted one one a week on the Pat Kenny Saturday night Pat Kenny show. And I met Paul on the Saturday afternoon. We sat down and the song just fell under our hands. Literally, we didn't even have to rehearse it. It just fell the way it was. The harmonies just came. We went and sang it that night on the Pat Kenny show. And I always remember the minute chamber choir were on doing their rehearsals just before us. And I was really intimidated by them because I love choral music and particularly um, chamber music. And there was the mute chamber choir. And they were there then when we were doing our first rehearsal. And at the end of our rehearsal, they they all stood up and applauded. And I said, "Oh Jesus, th- this is this is this must be something here, you know?" Uh, because not at the time you don't see, you don't see yourself as others see you, you know. You know, I just thought we were going to singing a song, and that was that. But they and I said, gee, this is this is guys." And eventually, we went to to Limerick to do the the actual final eight songs, and uh, we won. And then we, we ended up. Um, being in represent, representing Ireland and you know somebody told me that when I was about 13 or 14 that I said to them that I'm going to win that someday you know I don't remember saying it myself but th- this person genuinely said no you did you said that you were going to win that someday and uh little did I believe that it would happen because a couple of dilemmas came up because in my dream of Eurovision was always um ladies and gentlemen representing Ireland tonight Charlie in and conducting the orchestra Noel Keelehan, you know, because Noel Ke- Keelahan, I, I had, you know, I loved the orchestra, lovely man. I'd, I ended up working with him many times down the years, but uh, that was my dream. But in this scenario, the orchestra wouldn't feature. And I, you know, I said to Brendan, don't be tempted to put the orchestra on this. Just, I guarantee you, this is the best way to do it. And we did. And I think because it was so different to everything else, um, it, we, we won. Uh, and uh, won by a record margin, uh, you know, uh, as well. Um, but, but yeah, well, I don't know what the point. But anyway, it was it, it, it only has been outdone since, but I think, by Katrina and the Waves won it by a bit more than than that. But at the time, and it was three in a row as well, which was which was lovely. So that that was the, that was the Eurovision story, and and uh, it, it changed my life a lot, you know. Because mainly because people don't think you've done anything else, you know. They just think well, he he won the Eurovision, that's about it. And we get dragged out every every Eurovision season as it comes up. We get dragged out to do the Late Late Show, and I think we must have done the Late Late Show twenty or thirty times since we won it. You know, I mean, you know, it's 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 it, we're like a pair of old fossils that they drag out every so often, and we just did it there three weeks ago uh, again. You know. So, so uh, that's the Eurovision.
0: Problem. Yeah, I, I think. Did Did you find though that um, your career is steered in a certain direction after doing the Eurovision?
1: Yes, without a doubt. Not, not that I didn't. I, I was doing exactly the same thing uh, as I've always done, and that was the great thing about rock and roll kids, in that it was. Uh, you know, it, it worked. It would work with just me and the guitar, or it would work with just Paul and the piano. It, it, it worked. You didn't have to have a band and that kind of thing. So we continued doing that. But it's not so much um, creatively and still doing exactly the same kind t- of thing as I was doing before, was still writing songs and still um, playing acoustic guitar and stuff like that. But um, my approach to the business had to change because we were in huge demand then. Both here and in Europe, we were literally on on flights every second day, heading off to all kinds of weird places and doing, you know, doing concerts and doing. And, and again, it was a great. I remember in one particular concert we did, Paul and myself. It was in Frankfurt, and there were a hundred thousand people at the concert because it was the 50, the seven hundred fiftieth anniversary of the city of Frankfurt. And we got up, we got up on the stage. There was loads and loads of people on. We got up on the stage, and just as we were about to start. Get Back to Drum Shambo Magetigan came out of the crowd, you know, and it was somebody you know, said, you can never go anywhere, but you're going to get somebody to put you down, you know.
0: <laughs> That's the, the Irish, you'll find them everywhere shouting <laughs> your name, but for the wrong reasons, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That wasn't exactly what they said, but anyway,
0: <laughs> how do you see the Eurovision nowadays? I mean, do you think that people have the same respect for it, or do you think that? you know the the way the other countries approach it it's it's demeaned a little what do you
1: think um, well i think it has it has come back this year and and the last number of years because we've noticed we're getting asked out to these they have these eurovision festivals you know um because they maybe in berlin or or hamburg or somebody there's a group of people that love eurovision and they'll bring artists like Paula Myself or Linda Martin or Neve, or whatever. Uh, And and it's it's never really lost its impetus in in, in Europe. Here, I think um, we began to be a bit churlish about it because we felt uh, it's all about videos. Now it's all about flashing lights and dancing girls and stuff like that. The song has gone. But if you look back, the numbers of songs that have won, there have been a number of the songs that have won have been quite really good songs that have won it. You know, but they're forgotten about very quick because we don't, we're not interested enough in it here. If, if we won it again, I think we would. I think if we had a, a winner, uh, again, and in England, it's virtually the same. I remember, uh, one of the first radio stations we did in, um, I think it was in Leeds on a, on a, on a radio tour. And, uh, this guy, we walked in and sat down in the studio, and the first thing he said, you're a vision, loud of crap, isn't it? You know, and, and
0: that was the attitude, you know. <laughs> So that was a bad start to an interview. Yeah, because I think what it is with the Eurovision, it's it's like they say in, in the UK, Marmite. For some people, they love it and some people hate it. And the thing is, it's like everything. It's like country music. Some people say, oh, geez, I hate country music. And other people say, oh, I love it. So there's always going to be that divide. But the truth is, when you look back at a lot of Ireland's Eurovision songs, they were all great songs. I mean, they were well written. Maybe Dustin, maybe Dustin's one was a little off, but you know,
1: <laughs> I think that was a, that was a kind of a protest. You know, I was on the jury. I was on the jury the year that Dustin was picked. You know, uh, they have this jury that sits down and listens to the three or four hundred songs that came in, and we were all kind of pissed off with the with the with the voting system, and there was all kinds of favoritism for different countries, and I think. Uh, we put that into the final knowing that it was going to win no matter what it was because uh, Dustin the turkey was a huge star with children and the young people so we knew they'd vote for it you know and um i probably shouldn't be saying that but but it was what it was it was a kind of a protest
0: it got to a point i suppose for some people especially you know everybody in ireland was saying oh geez rt don't want to win it anymore because you know it's costing so much money and I actually something I read a few weeks ago, and I, and I kind of never thought about it. But the whole Father Ted thing, you know, the song for Ireland or whatever it was, yeah, yeah, where yeah. they had the, the, yeah. the my little horse, the, yeah, my lovely horse. That was kind of a perfect analogy because it was like, let's get let we don't want to win this again because it's costing too much money. Whereas the people people were very proud of it, but it, it it's a big event to keep hosting, isn't it?
1: Yeah, but you know, people said that about us when they when they saw us. Uh, going in, they said, "Oh, obviously they don't want to win this. Just putting a piano and a, and a guitar and a vocal, a couple of vocals. They don't want to win this, you know." Really? Uh, and yet, and yet, it, <laughs> we won. Uh, which, which, which is gas. Yeah, There yeah. are so many contradictions I find in Eurovision now. In the last, you know, uh, between now and the Eurovision and up and for the last month or so, I've been doing an awful lot of interviews with European radio stations and you know, internet radio stations dedicated to the Eurovision and they all envy Ireland. The, Johnny Logan is still the best song that ever won the Eurovision as far as they're concerned. Johnny Logan is the king of Eurovision. And I remember we did a concert in, in Copenhagen, uh, which was the 50th anniversary of Eurovision. And everybody was there. All the different people that had won uh, Eurovision during the years were there, uh, including an old lady who had won, uh, in, I think in the, in the late 1950s. and <laughs> She was a kleptomaniac. And she was stealing things out of people's dress, dressing rooms the whole, <laughs> the whole day. And and then, yeah, but people knew she was, and people would watch her, you know, and then get it back and then put it back. But but then that night, jo- when Johnny Logan came on, it was like Elvis had come into the building, you know. And Pete, they just love him. They love, him. and I've worked with Johnny quite a bit over over the last number of years, and he is a sensational performer. I mean his voice is just, his voice is better than than it ever was, and he's from the tips of his toes he he's a pop star from the tips of his toes to the top of his head, you know he just goes for it, he never stints, you know, and I have to admire him for that he's just and I guess, well that he's a lovely guy yeah and,
0: you know? and of course, you know that year as well, Riverdance was in your show, wasn't it it was, it was yeah, that's a big moment too in that show.
1: Well, you know, you take any song contest, um, when the interval comes, people are so preoccupied with themselves in what they call the green room. Now, the green room that year would have have held about 300 people. You know, there was um, 25 songs in there, each one with a delegation of maybe 20, 30 people. And usually people are just so wrapped up and I wonder how they'll vote and they'll go and I wonder how we'll do, blah, blah. Uh, And they're not in the least interested in what's on. But there was a big screen in the green room and Riverdance came on, and a silence descended on the place. And jaws just literally hit the chest. People were just boggled-eyed looking at this. You know, it was it was something sensational. It was absolutely sensational. You know, and and when you look at it now, it was quite minimalistic compared to. I went to the to the, to the Riverdance last year, and compared to, compared to then, it was like a little parish hall show compared to what it is now you know, and little did we know that it would become the phenomenon that it that it was, you know. So um I have to say, you know, but even in Europe, um nobody, you see, in Europe, uh, people would just go and put on the kettle to make a cup of tea during, during the break, you know, and a lot of people in Europe missed it. And we'd be doing television shows and radio shows and stuff over in Germany or wherever. And we'd tell them about Riverdance. What is this Riverdance? They hadn't seen it because most of them had gone off to take the break. <laughs> they hadn't seen it. You know, and it wasn't until a year later. It wasn't until a year later that the, that the show actually became the Riverdance show that it is now.
0: Wow. And, and it, it was great, though. I mean, because probably when, you, when people look back, And, you know, the fact that you won it that year and Riverdance was there, it kind of is one of the most historical years of your vision, no?
1: Yeah, all without a doubt. The the fact that we won three in a row and the fact that Riverdance was there. And we got to share in an awful lot of that whole, because uh, a lot of the events that we would have been invited to, uh, in this country particularly, uh, Riverdance, Gene Butler and Michael Flatley would have been there as well, I mean, even when we had our, our album launch. They turned up at our album launch uh, as well. So we were kind of linked all the way through. And during that whole year afterwards, they were they were working the show, trying to put the show together. Uh, and, um, you know, it was a bit sad when Michael Flatley had to part company with them and stuff like that. But that memory of that Riverdance and the whole idea of Riverdance was that it was in the Point Depot of the Tree Arena now, which is right on the banks of the Liffey. And that was where the, the theme came from. It was, it was a river theme, you know. Uh, and uh, Moya Doherty and John McColgan, you know, I have to hand it to them. They, you know, they really did uh, put their necks on the line with that, particularly when they went to put the show together, because it cost a fortune to put that show out, you know. And they really did take a big chance, uh, but it worked, thankfully.
0: Yeah, and and it worked well, and it's great for everyone. Uh, let let Charlie. Let's obviously, you know, you, you, I know you're with your family and all, but with with the loss of your son in 1998, and you know, even though it's, it seems like a long time ago, but with with anything like that, it's 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 always with you, isn't it? But was that something that derailed you for a long time?
1: Um, it didn't derail me, Simon, because uh, I don't think Shane would have wanted me to be derailed. You know. Um, and it was remarkable. Um, it, it was possibly, I remember the night that we were told, I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, a couple of hours after we'd heard, and I just said to him, Eamon, it was Eamon Daly, my friend. And I said, Eamon, this is possibly the worst thing that will ever happen to me that, that, that has ever happened or ever will happen. Uh, and you know, I had the family to think of the girls and, and, and Gretty, um the, the instant i heard it i went into meltdown. i just literally lost my head completely but after about an hour i said oh, come on you need to cop yourself on here you, you know you have to you have to deal with this and you have to be there for the rest of the family so we've we've nothing but great memories you know they're 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 really good memories of him you know in this house and um you know his pictures are everywhere and you know he's he's always present, you know, always present in our, in our, in our lives, you know, Uh, you know, I can't get it down. There usually is a picture around here, uh, but, uh, uh, but, you know, he's, he's somebody that he was, a, you know, he, 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 we had nothing but pride in him. you know, he went and played for Leitrim in the, in the football and played at Croke Park and all that kind of stuff. As well as that, he was a a really good musician. He could play piano and uh, funny at one time, um, he had an accident in the football game, and we had to get his hands x-rayed, you know, because uh, they thought he had broken a finger. And when we looked at the x-rays, every finger in his in his hands had been had been broken at some stage. They were all bent and crooked and bent and broken. And yet, he still was able to play the piano, you know. And he made it work. Yes, yes. And he used to play Moonless Sonata before every game, you know, for the game. He'd be here waiting to go for you know the, the big uh, county games. And he played the piano to to settle himself down and stuff like that, you know. Um, great, he, he was great, you know. I wrote a couple of songs about him, but there's one on on on, a, 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 on one of my albums. Can't remember which one now. Uh, called I Get Excited. is the name of the song, and it was about how I, I'd see him in a crowd, you know. And even though I gro- he'd grown up in the house here, but I'd always get excited when I saw, you know, you know, on the, on the football pitch or in a crowd of people or whatever, you know, he created an excitement around himself without even knowing it. Yeah, it was a tough time.
0: One thing I, I, you know, just when I was researching everything and a comment that kind of really hit home because I I, I have a small story as regards, I, I have a cousin of my mother's and he plays a lot of music now, but and one time he used to always play music in the pubs and everything, but his son died and when his son died he... He said to me, and he stopped playing music, and he'd been playing for years, you know. And I said to him, you, you know, because I was coming up playing music, and I'd say you don't play music anymore. And and there was a part to me that wanted him to start playing music again because you know he was he was older than me, and you you know you you look up to people like that, your peers, and I it was very sad for me because I'd be thinking, it's a shame he doesn't play music. And I said it to him one day, you don't play music, and he said, every song I sing, he said takes me back to him and it breaks my heart so he can i like, can't do it and it took him 10 years before he could pick up a gu- guitar again yeah
1: yeah i played i played a gig three weeks after shane died and uh it was hard and it was in enniskillen uh, and father Brian darcy um who, who was he was a pastor in a church up there and he came backstage and he said you're doing the right thing he said, uh, "Go out and celebrate celebrate his his memory rather than mourn his loss." You know that kind of way. I think that's what you have. that's a little saying that I have: is mourn his loss, but celebrate his memory. You know, and of course we we get down and we get you know lonely and sad about it. But uh, we do. We 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 all talk about it. You know, and he's so ever present in our lives. You know, he's always talked about and quoted and
0: everything else you know it's great that he can live on through the music as well with you because you know like that you know you could write you could have written a song about him that time you might find yourself writing a song about him in the future but it's great because that's the great thing about music and musicians is that they can bring people back to life in different ways through music and poetry and song and everything
1: Exactly, and even if you take it to a more a more realistic level, it, 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 music has carried me through this pandemic without a doubt. You know, if I didn't have the music, I don't know, I'd have gone bonkers. You know, um, because I, you know, I dedicate, you know, at least um, two or three hours a day to, to music, uh, and if I didn't have that, I dread what it must be like for somebody who is a footballer but can't play football and that's his only way of expressing himself you know um it, it must be really difficult but all the musicians and friends that i have in the business um when i ring them up um they all are annoyed about it not being able to play but they're all still playing you know they're all doing something you know with the music pr- whether it's and the thing is you have in my position you have to keep your chops up you have to be able to play so if i don't practice every day the next thing is, I get a phone call to do. You're doing the late late show on Saturday night, and or Friday night or whatever, and and you you realize you can't play because you haven't been rehearsing and practicing and stuff like that. So you know, if you but if you keep doing it,
0: you know you won't get caught on the hop. You know. No, you won't. Uh, tell me, you were you were mentioning earlier like at your radio shows and stuff. You know, tell us about that. Was was that a, was that an easy transition doing the radio shows, or did you find it difficult?
1: I never in my wildest dreams had any interest in doing radio. But the, the local radio station here, um, their their main man uh, on the daily show got sick, and they rang me up and they said, "Would you would you come in and present Joe Finnegan's show?" And I, said, being a chancellor, I said, "Oh yeah, so What kind can of can't be much to it, you know?" And and I did. I brought a bunch of CDs in, and then they. They gave me two weekly slots, um one a two hour show and a one hour show uh, each week and I decided what my my main raison d'etre would be to promote new Irish music, new people um, um, veering slightly towards the the left of center you know with um you know Americana type music, folk music, traditional music. I'm a big fan of traditional Irish music. so the program every week had we always had a guest guest in and they, they'd they all sit down and see the, the guests would be on for a full hour like you know the way we we talk talking here the guests would be on and they say, you know i said what are you going to what are you going to talk what are we going to talk about for an hour you know and then the hour would pass and i'd say sorry come to the end of the show and they looked at me you mean we've we've been on for an hour you know um so i think i had a kind of a I I, I have a skill of listening to people you know that ask ask question and listen to what they say, and I've been I've been blessed. I've had people like Steve Earle on and Guy Clark and all these huge um, uh, American musicians who've been on tour and come, come on, sat down and chatted and played the guitar in the studio, and um, I've missed that during the pandemic because it wasn't so much the financial end of it; it was just the pure joy of meeting other people and you know there again it gave you know i i see i see all these new music coming into me every day on the on the laptop and and i say you know i would i would i would have them in as a guest you know and and i would give them a shout and they would play live and play their cd's and stuff like that and i feel that there's not nobody doing that now you know, there's nobody doing that in this area because I would equally so out of maybe somebody's putting on a play or putting on a show or, you know, whatever it was, traditional music sessions, the fly or whatever. I covered all those kind of things. And it was just a great, great experience. I just loved it, you know, and hopefully I'll get back. But, yeah,
0: but, but, but you're, you're right in that sense. Like, that's something I kind of in this show, part of my, you know, like belief is that shows like mine and radio shows. We have to try and kind of promote Irish music and Irish artists. And for me, you know, I've had some great Irish artists over the last few months in here. And, you know, the rains and everything, these kind of American kind of bands. And I think they're not getting the airplay on the radio. I mean, they're getting their song played and they might do short interviews. But the thing is. Like that, sitting down for an hour with somebody and getting to hear their story, how that song came about, what are their plans for the next few months. That's what people want to hear. And I mean, for me, I think it's like, you know, we we hear of a vicious circle, but I like to think of it in the positive sense that, you know, if I do good for you, it comes back on me. And for me, I think it's great to promote artists. It doesn't cost you anything. And the problem is we have to get out of this thing about all self all the time. Stop thinking just about yourself because... I know myself that if I do something for Charlie McGettigan, one day Charlie McGettigan will think of me. And that's the way we have to think, you know. Well, I'd be expecting that first uh, lyric
1: uh, as soon as this show is over.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to go through it now and I'll be like, OK, which one will suit Charlie McGettigan? you know. <laughs> so, so, come here, tell me this. Um what can you see you know happening for yourself over the next 6 months or so i mean more recorded concerts
1: yeah uh, well as i as i told you we're going to be doing a number of those ones we're doing one in carlo we're doing one in uh, cork I think we're doing one in in, Go, um, in mayo so don't, we'll we'll do those um more of this kind of thing uh, i have to say uh, sam this has been a very enjoyable experience you know because you know you, you have a good skill of 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 putting up with somebody like me for an hour um but but uh, yeah, some of them work and some of them don't, you know. Um, and what I liked about this one, it wasn't all Eurovision, you know. No,
0: no, no. I, I, tr- I tried I try to steer away from the obvious things, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched funny. I watched one of one or two of your shows before you came on this morning. I always check out the. I always check out who I'm going to be talking to. Yeah, and yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought they were really good, you know. And congratulations on on, on what you're doing. And thanks
0: very much. I mean, because you know, it's it's I'm a, I'm only doing it now six months and you know yourself it's when you're starting and you're not as well known it's hard to get guests for a start sometimes but the thing is i just want to make feel, people feel comfortable and as i said i want to ask them questions that i'm curious about but so is everybody else out there and you know it's not i the, for me i'm thinking when i'm doing the questions i'm thinking okay the eurovision will come into it but i'm not going to dwell on that because there's so much more to this man or this artist than that one thing
1: yeah, yeah, that that's what you know that's what I and 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 uh, Paul I was we I was talking to Paul there a couple of weeks ago we were we were doing we were doing the late late show, and uh, Paul said he gets a little bit um, annoyed because people just talk talk to him about about um, about Eurovision all the time because he is Paul is an an incredible um, musician a really really self taught piano player never had a piano lesson in his life sing song he's got a spot on News Talk now with Pat Kenny I think it's every Thursday. Some some of your listeners, you might give them the link. It's called the lyrics, the thing where he takes a well-known song and he goes, he researches, you know, how it came about, how the artist got the song, blah blah, what the song's about, and it's he's done sixty of these at the moment uh, up to now, and it's hugely successful. People love it, so it's on Pat Kenny's on News Talk FM. Uh, if, if, if anybody wants to tune, in. I think you, you can actually get it on the on the uh, on the internet.
0: Yeah I, I mean and yeah it'd be great, we'd be great to have Paul on the show sometime as well you know cuz as you said you were you were a great duo
1: and Paul I think you'd enjoy Paul very really.
0: Yeah no I for sure and I mean I've really enjoyed this interview it's, it's been really good you know So listen I'm going to let you go in a minute but you said you might do another song for us on the way out of the building you know um have you anything you might have might have in mind Well you know I I I,
1: I have the words of this one in front of me it's one of the songs I wrote um during the pandemic and uh, and it's about my daughter and her husband uh, were working from home for the whole, the whole year last year and for a lot of the time they had the children at home as well so I wrote this uh, song called Working From Home and it goes like this Working from home it's a mile a minute stuck in the room with the kids all in it I'm playing the game but I just can't win it I'm working from home I'm working from home, it's hard to juggle Between the job and a hug and a snuggle My whole day is just one big struggle I'm working from home The baby wants his bottle And the boss is on the phone And Jill's on Zoom in the back bedroom And Jackie just sits there and moans And the dog wants to go walkies And the calf's fit not for balls I'm way behind on the daily grind My wife's on a conference call So I'm working from home It's a mile a minute Stuck in a room with the kids all in it Playing the game, but I just can't win it I'm working from home Yes, I'm working from home It's so hard to juggle Between the job and a hug and a snuggle My whole day is just one big struggle I'm working from home Dad, can I have a cookie? Dad, can I have a treat? All my kids seem to do all day is just eat and eat and eat. They think that I'm a teacher. They think that I know it all. But history and geography don't make my day at all. Because I'm working from home. It's a mile a minute. Stuck in the room with the kids all in it. Playing the game, but I just can't win it. I'm working from home. I'm working from home, it's hard to struggle Between the job and a hug and a snuggle My whole day is just one big struggle I'm working from home You know, I've got my shirt and tie on I look so good on screen But no one knows that down below my pajamas remain unseen I don't know if I'll make it This chaos won't subside but where to go? I just don't know. There's nowhere I can hide. singing I'm working from home. It's a mile a minute. Stuck in the room with the kids all in it. Playing the game, but I just can't win it. I'm working from home. I'm working from home. It's hard to juggle between the job and a hug and a snuggle. My whole day, just one big struggle. I'm working from home. that's what it's like working at home
0: really nice <laughs> thank you well it's great you know and as you as you said the, the hug and the snuggle and the pajamas and everything there's so many parts to working from home now isn't there
1: oh yeah yeah you know I, 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 the, the pit with the shirt and tie on um um i've done i've done uh, zoom zoom concerts in my boxer shorts you know so uh, but people only saw the top half of me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I always think when you have a Zoom concert or anything like that or Zoom uh, interview, you know, just make sure there's no fire in the building. You're running out in your boxes.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly.
0: (laughs) So, so listen, one thing I want to ask you before I let you go, because you mentioned it earlier, your memoirs. So when do you hope to have your memoirs out?
1: Well, it's nearly, it's nearly finished. Um, And at the moment, I'm looking to get a, a publisher. Um, so if there's any publishers, uh, um, watching your podcast, maybe get in touch, um, because I've known a lot of people who've self-published and it's, it's almost as bad as pu- pu- doing your own CD. You end up with a, with a garage load full of books, you know? So, um, hopefully, um, I'll have a publisher for it and I, ideally it would be out maybe October, November for the Christmas, for the Christmas market. It's, it's very interesting. I've found some very I, you know, but it's a great experience to go through, and every character in your life sort of ticks off another story, and you you know you know things that you'd completely forgotten about. So, if anybody is ever we sort of have nothing to do, it's it's a great exercise to go through, if nothing else.
0: Well, you know, the thing about it is, Charlie, you have a story to tell, and I'm sure people will snap the book up. I, I don't know how big your garage is, but I guarantee you there won't be books left in it. I hope. I hope. You have a really interesting life and, you know, you've done a lot and, and you should be proud of everything you've done. I mean, you know, you, not just representing Ireland, but in all the songs you've written and everything. And, and uh, all I can say is we appreciate you coming on the show and it's been brilliant and some lovely music. That's the main thing as well. That's the main thing. So, you know, thanks again. And uh, we hope to have you on the show in the future if you like, come on again sometime.
1: Yeah, I look forward to that. Simon, and you've been great. Thanks. A, thanks a
0: lot. Thanks a lot. Charlie in everybody. Okay. Thank you very much. We really enjoyed that, Charlie McGettigan. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Some lovely music as well, and we really enjoyed listening to your story, and we know that there's a lot more to come from you also. Moving on to next week's show. Next week, we speak to Dara Kinnear. Dara Kinnear is a freelance sports journalist, author, editor, and analyst commentator who works in print and online media as well as television and radio. He is the Chief Features Writer with the Irish Field, Editor of the Irish Racing Yearbook, uh, Content Provider for the Camogie Association, and he has co-authored a book with Kevin Walsh called The Invisible Game. So we look forward to speaking to Dara. This should be an interesting conversation, and we'll find out a bit more about the life of a sports writer. Okay, thank you very much, everybody, and we hope you enjoyed this week's show, and we look forward to having you on again. Stay tuned. There's lots more great guests to come this season, and... You know, look after yourself and look after everyone else. It's been a pleasure. My name is Simon Kay. Talk to you soon. Bye bye.